the phrase we use is how do we make the healthy choice the, the easy choice? Because we've created environments which actually promote uh, unhealthy actions. You are listening to WorkShift, a podcast from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. This is the final episode recorded with Stuart McLean, who retired from the Workers' Compensation Board in November 2022. Stay tuned for new episodes of WorkShift with interim CEO Shelley Rowan, coming soon. Welcome to WorkShift, Episode 7. We all know that exercise is an important part of a healthy lifestyle. We also know that a lack of exercise can lead to a whole host of health conditions that can affect quality of life at home and at work. Research has found that organizations where employers work in sedentary environments are seeing a decline in the health and wellness of their workforce. This decline not only leads to increased absences, lifestyle-related diseases, stress, employee disengagement, but it can also impact occupational injury risks and contribute to less productivity, greater turnover, and a loss of return on investment. I believe that our prosperity as a province depends in large measure on the overall health and wellness of our people. I also believe that encouraging healthy behaviors isn't just the responsibility of healthcare providers. As leaders and employers, we have a role to play. Joining me today to talk about the importance of physical activity and how leaders can help their workers be more active and therefore more healthy at work are Dr. Jonathan Fowles and Dr. Robert Strang. Dr. Fowles is the Director of the Center of Lifestyle Studies at Acadia University in Wolfville. His work is focused on the implementation of physical activity guidelines into practice. Dr. Robert Strang is well known to all Nova Scotians as our Chief Medical Officer. His knowledgeable leadership and compassion has helped guide our province through the pandemic. Dr. Strang is a passionate advocate for physical activity as part of a healthy lifestyle, which in turn supports better health and wellness outcomes and it reduces the incidence of preventable diseases. So welcome to the studio, gentlemen. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm really excited about the conversation. Yeah, great to be here, Stuart. Thanks. Dr. Strang, maybe I'll start um, with a question for you. Um, what does inactivity look like from a population health perspective? So we know that uh, fundamentally humans were made to move. So when we're inactive, uh, is, and you know, just not moving and sedentary, doing a lot of sitting, that has huge, creates significant changes in our bodies. And ultimately, um, I'm going to flip it into a positive that being active, moving more during our days is profoundly important for not just our physical health, but our mental health. There's more and more literature and research around the importance of being active as a fundamentally important for our mental health as well as our physical health. So at, at an individual level, being just building activity into our days, um, it never used to be an issue. But over the last few decades, we've engineered activity out of our daily life for many of us. Not everybody. There are still some people who, uh, uh, you know, just the, the type of work they do, they're still very active. But for many of us, activity is something we need to be, con we consciously need to build it back into our days. And even at our homes, the convenience we have of, of everything, just push button and everything just now. It doesn't have to be a big exercise program, going to the gym, all that stuff is great, but we just need to move more in our daily life. And, and what that looks like is different for each of us. Move more, 
sit less and it and it can be in very short chunks as well five to ten minutes even accumulating several times over a day so that's one of the things i think we need you know people the public sees this as intimidating because for 20 years ago we were talking about an exercise prescription and stuff it's not as complicated as that so but it's prof i believe it's profoundly important in our overall individually but also collectively if we all move more and and did the minimum kind of met the minimum guidelines of activity on a weekly basis the impact we would have on the population's physical and mental health would be quite profound yeah it's the leverage right there it's a uh... It's not always thought of as a strategy. If you look at the government, the current government is looking so hard at the healthcare system. And it seems to me if, it, if you could actually ha have people stop coming in the door because they can become more active and more healthy, that, that would be part of the solution. That's yeah. the, that's the the drum that I beat and many my colleagues in public <laughs> health for a long period of time that we're focused about it's, it. You raise a very important point. We're focused a lot on transformation of the healthcare system. But we need to need to place as much attention on improving the health of Nova Scotians, because ultimately we will never be successful in the transforming the delivery of care unless there's much less demand for care in the first place, because we've also paid attention collectively to building communities and environments that are healthy. And one of those things is building communities, schools, workplaces, et cetera, that actually are walkable, what that promote people to move around. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's an important conversation about while well, we had lots of things to do around transforming healthcare, but how do we actually invest upstream and around the prevention side is just as important. It is cultural in some aspect. I'm going to pivot over to Jonathan for a minute, but I just like to say, um, when Dr. Strang and I first were talking about public health, probably I'm going to guess five or six years ago, um, I went to see you and we had a meeting and you got me to come to a conference and I, I got to see this Dr. Jonathan Fowles speak. And literally the hair went up on the back of my neck when he shared some of the information. I was taking pictures of his slides, having the best time because I go, oh my gosh, look at this. So I'm just going to, a couple of things. I have one in my favorites. It's on yeah. my phone here. But hypertension, just by, I think you said walking two or three times a week, like short bursts of being active yep. for half an hour. Hypertension would improve by 33 to 60%, stroke by 31 to 45%, diabetes by 25 to 68%, CVD by 30 to 50%, cancer rates would go down. And, you know, one of the statements that was on that slide said basically that, um, you know, exercise is as effective as medication for treating depression. Mm -hmm. And there was a bunch of different learnings there. You know, I, was, I, I ran over there. I wouldn't let you leave before, <laughs> yeah. before, uh, before I had a chance to talk to you. And, yeah. we've, and we've had uh, the benefit of some great conversations subsequently. But do you want to talk about how your practice and how, you know, you're at Acadia and you have a, you know, you, you, you lead a lot of different things in this space. Yeah. Tell me what your general thoughts are on this topic. Yeah. Like you said, uh, you know, exercise exercise and, and more importantly, physical activity, there's a spectrum there, you you had, you know, 25 to 60%. So the 25% is if people, you know, meet the minimum physical activity guidelines, which is trying to be active, you know, approximately 30 minutes a day, most days of the week. And then if you do a little bit more than that, or of higher intensity, say you do exercise, or you do brisk walks, or go for bike rides, or whatever it might be, to increase your fitness, you can get those higher level numbers. And it really is a dose response. And the more recent research that we've learned is that every minute counts in that 
when we use accelerometers and track people over seven or 10 years, um, we actually see that, you know, if you're moving for five minutes, that's better than zero, but 10 minutes is better than five and 30 minutes is better than 10. And there's this dose response. So it doesn't matter where your entry point is moving a little bit more improves your health. And we now have the the resolution in the data to actually say that you don't have to get to a threshold of 30 minutes in a day for it to suddenly be beneficial. It's like two moving from two to four minutes actually has improvements. And, you know, the one on mental health, uh, uh, moving as little as 10 minutes per week has significant uh, improvements in mood. If you do 15 minutes a day of vigorous activity, it significantly reduces your risk of depression as effectively as medications. Um, the the uh, physical activity uh, guidelines uh, you can treat as effectively as medications for diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and stroke. And so there is a potency of an effect and the, the benefit of physical activity is it addresses all of those conditions concurrently. Whereas in the illness care model that, you know, there's medications that could address the hypertension or the, you know, the diabetes or the cardiovascular disease, but they're additive additive costs. Whereas in the physical activity and the prevention role, there's an incredible return because that one intervention can address so many things that actually becomes more and more cost effective for people as they age and for people that might have, you know, different conditions to address. It's certainly, it's very compelling when you see it. It's yeah. just how do you actually get that message out there right. so that people understand that there's something here for everyone, right? It's not just the employer. If you had, had a chance to speak to the employers, one of my favorite questions, if you had a chance to speak to employers and said, like, what would what would be the message for them in terms of programming or how, how do they go about doing that? Well, we uh, we did some work as you, you know, in response to the workshop that you saw me speak at, we, we started a, an invigoration of, uh, seeing what was done in the workplace and what the current practices are, what the evidence is. And in that whole environmental scan and literature view and surveys and everything that we did, one of the key things that came out was that uh, a workplace culture of health is probably one of the most important things that can support people to be active in the workplace. And just like you have a, a, a safety culture that, you know, provides the foundation for a safe workplace, that culture of health is now one of the things that workers most want. So for leaders to recognize and acknowledge that, that coming out of COVID, people are wanting to support their own health and the workplace is a way to do that. And by, by having a culture of health in the workplace that supports for people to be active, for walking meetings, sit to stand desks, having opportunities to move more, you know, instead of economizing on movement, which is what we've done over the last hundred years is engineered physical activity out of our daily activities and especially the workplace. We're at the turn of the century, say 72% of, of Canadians were stationary farmers that got between three and eight hours a day of moderate to vigorous physical activity. Yeah, they were okay. <laughs> yeah, and they were doing pretty well from a physical activity and fitness standpoint. Now we get on average about 24 minutes a day on most Canadians. And so it's a huge shift. And so that has you know major consequences on our health. So now re-engineering that back into such as taking the stairs, you know, you know, uh, taking the stairs five times a day for two minutes, there's that 10 minutes that significantly improves your mood, 
your your mental wellness and you know the strength of your legs your functionality which probably imp- improves your productivity at, and things at at work as well so there's easy ways to do it but it all begins at the top from a culture of health from being it embedded within your health and safety plan and um strategic plan of your organization to support your workers to be healthy and active and uh, to address those concerns that they all have now about their own health. I think Jonathan's making a really important point about creating supportive environments, which is a fundamental principle in health promotion, uh, work in public health, that you can't just tell people that this is what they need to do. You need to be more active or whether it's smoking or whatever. We need to focus on how do we create environments that actually encourage, facilitate, support whatever those personal uh, actions are. Um, So, and and, uh, the phrase we use is how do we make the healthy choice the, the easy choice? Because we've created environments which actually promote. Uh, unhealthy actions, whether it's sitting, not moving, our you know our food environment about unhealthy foods, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you know, you know, if, if for leaders who are you know workplace leaders who are listening to this, that it, it starts with raising awareness and understanding, and you're working within your workplace the importance of moving more, sitting less. But then, if, if that's all you do, then it's not going to change very much. How do you then work with within your workplace to create an environment that facilitates and supports that? And also what we do know from some of the research is if you do that in the workplace, that has a spillover effect that individuals often will carry that the what they're learning and be more and, and continue to be more active in their home life and it may spill over in the rest of their family so that there's a profound impact of of the workplace but again that point about creating we need to create and start with how do you engineer the environment again so it supports people just to very easily do that. And I'll make a, a point here, a plug. We're, we're making substantive progress in Nova Scotia on this through the work that Jonathan's talked about, um, uh, the Healthy Tomorrow Foundation, where there's a whole campaign that's been rolled out. We've got several workplaces that have adopted this in, in an early phase, make your move at work. And so th- there's a lot of materials out there for workplaces that to, they don't have to figure out how to do this themselves. If people are interested in this, of how to create those supportive environments. A lot of that work has already been done and right. lots of ideas there. You've made me think about a lot of things in, in terms of connecting the dots. Um, coming out of the pandemic, and we all know that you're, you're, the pandemic has been really, really tough for you, tough on all of us, yeah. but uh, it's, been a, it's been a real, a real challenge. Workplaces are changing. What should we be taking away as we, as we transition? Well, I think one of the things that I keep hearing from people is how um, the the pandemic actually, and especially in the first wave, the first you know the first year of the pandemic, where a lot of stuff stopped, it actually gave people a chance to rethink really about what are their priorities in their life. And I've t- talked to lots of people about they were so busy with their own activities, kids' activities, those are things, and they're and they're not going back to all of that. 
But also, I think it's helped people think differently about work. Uh, I think that this is part of what's probably behind, I'm, I'm speculating on this, but I think it's, it may well be one where people are getting a higher priority on on uh, how their workplace supports their health as a priority for, for, for what they want from their workplace. So I, I think this does give us a chance to, uh, to uh, think about uh, what individually and collectively, what are we going to prioritize? Um, and I think for employers to recognize that that their their employees may be looking for something different, but also the fact that we now have a greater focus on health and wellness, and that creating in, uh, a work environment that support better supports health, whether it's you know um, in, encouraging activity at work, different food choices at work, all those kind of things, really focusing more on on mental wellness, uh, and and the, and the two are absolutely or the, the all those elements are all intertwined. Uh, is going to have a positive outcomes. People are going to see that maybe as a, as a place where they want to uh, more likely to want to go to work um, uh, with that employer, but also where they're likely to be re retained more. They're going to be probably happier at work and and more more productive. So I think the, the pandemic and, and maybe the opportunity of the pandemic and the outcome is a, a way for us to reevaluate our priorities and to think differently uh, about right. things. Yeah, there was actually a, a recent uh, study that was done by Mercer, which is like a, a human resources firm, and they surveyed over a thousand employees across the country about, you know, what are needs or unmet needs in the workplace. Um, it was one of these conjoint analysis where they had to pick something in place of something else. So it, it shows priorities. And the first thing that was chosen chosen in the workplace as an unmet need was physical health and, and fitness. And then the second one was workload and life balance. And then being able to retire was the next one, but then mental, emotional health and pace of life and free time. You know, I think that the, the pandemic showed us that reflection of what are we doing and what is it that we really want and got people to reevaluate and revalue um, their own personal health and wellness. And so it's a real opportunity for employers to embrace that and, and talk about how am I supporting the people in my workplace to be well. And, you know, one of the things that also um, has, you know, come to the surface in the workplaces about burnout and the added stress of the pandemic basically accentuated and, you know, added on to the current stresses that were already there. But one of the ways to relieve burnout tension is to give people control and to um, invite social connectedness so that they have support and can build their resilience from their communities. And doing things in the office that give people flex time to be more physically active at lunch. And, and then the other thing that helps to address burnout is rewarding and recognizing people's efforts to improve. And so when people are taking those actions to be more physically active, to, to um, do things with their employees, it not only builds community, it builds a healthier community in the workplace, but it also gives you opportunities to recognize their employees for contributing to not only their own health and wellness, but the, the health and wellness of the organization as a whole. So there's a number of things there that we can kind of capitalize on the opportunity that we have right now to, to acknowledge and, and support and build that healthy environment to help our employees be well 
and help our organizations to perform well. Because we know that, you know, there's another uh, survey that was recently done that uh, by uh, Medivy Blue Cross in Alberta that tracked these things over 10 years and more recently the last 30 months that showed that um, health and wellness initiatives reduced um, claims costs by 14% over a 30-year period versus those organizations that weren't doing a, a, a health and wellness. And this was, you know, digital supports and yeah. things like that. So it does have So it's a outcomes. business case. There's yeah, a, there's definitely there's a business, business case, case for it. Do you know what? It's interesting because it's like the pandemic, I think we would all agree, was a disruptor. Yeah. It caused innovation. You know, it was a, a trigger for innovation. We did it out of necessity. Um, you know, led by the led by the province, creating a, an environment where we could all continue to stay working and doing things. But best practice changed. It, there's there's a whole new world order that we need to think about in terms of best practice that needs to be informed by the science that Jonathan's talking about, and uh, and and Dr. Strang's, you know, which is talking about culture. The whole connection piece is really huge, and I think there's a role for that here as well. That's actually, you know, use the sport model in that. When you work through things together as a team, things that are difficult builds community and resilience within that whole group. And that's where working through these challenges that we've had with the pandemic, um, I think, you know, does create the ability to build best practice and build resilience as, as a team. And these are things that you can you know, build and building a health culture in, in that group as well. Yeah, that just got, I mean, one of the challenges of the pandemic has been isolation. Right. But by necessity, I was I tell you, yeah. you know, stay home. Stay the blazes but, home, right? But, the, but there has been certainly the chat, just people isolated has exacerbated, you know, part of, you know, some of the mental health, rise in mental health issues. So I see opportunities. And even if people are still working virtually from home or whatever, but how do you work in teams using, you know, uh, fun ways to kind of build back uh, physical activity, but doing it in kind of team kind of environments, whether it's promoting small working meetings, whether you have a walking club and give people permission, a bit more time at lunch, or even you maybe you know, fun ways to promote, uh, you know, step challenges amongst different work teams, even if some of those people are working from home. So I think as, as you workplaces that want to unpackage this, uh, there's an opportunity to uh, deal with some of the isolation uh, aspects of this and rebuild some of that connection this uh, at work, which is really important to having uh, work environments that people are engaged in and, um, and, and, and drives, you know, some of productivity and things like that, because, because it's more of a, of, a, of a team kind of atmosphere and people are fitting in, even while people maybe still be working parts of their days uh, virtually. Well, we're learning the importance of, of, you know, presenteeism, people that we've sort of taken a lot of that stuff for granted. Mm -hmm. And you come, people come, they sit in their cubicle all day, then they get back and they drive home and they're in the car for, you know, a couple hours a day, just trying to get to the office and get home again. And then we start to ask now, why were we doing that? So a lot of those norms are really getting challenged. Even very basic thing we've got, and I'm bad with this, but I'm trying to work, you know, we communicate by email. Even with the person who may be down the down hall, hall. <laughs> what about getting up out of our chair, yeah, simple. going and knocking on the door and let's have a bit of a conversation or yeah. maybe 
why don't we go for a 10 minute walk to have deal deal with an issue that we're talking maybe th two people three or four people yeah. mm -hmm. uh, i think just make your move at work that yeah. <laughs> that 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 actually a personal in person reconnection yes. uh as opposed to just doing everything electronically there yeah. and and that will promote re-engagement, all those positive mental health issues, but also just get people moving more. Yeah, yeah. the pendulum's gotta come swinging back in yeah. that fashion, right? Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned claim costs. In Nova Scotia, oftentimes, people are off longer when they suffer a workplace injury than in other jurisdictions. Uh, is there anything that we can unpack around thinking that rest is the best medicine versus what we're talking about today? No, I think, I mean, appropriate rest, but I think we're learning more. Any kind of, uh, of, of physical injury is uh, movement, appropriate movement of whether it's the whole body or whatever, even the injured part, arm, leg, whatever, uh, is, is, is in a critically important part of rehabilitation. Uh, we've learned over years that, uh, you know, we used to, people with a broken leg or a post-surgery, whatever, we'd put them in, in a hospital bed and, and just lay there. Uh, muscles decondition, your risk of pulmonary embolism goes up. So now post-op joint replacement and things like that, one of the first things we do is try to mobilize people. And even the, even the world of concussion management, where we, you concussion has changed, where even in the last 10 years, I remember my kids with concussions, dark room still. We now know that actually moderate, mild to moderate activity, just walking, early on is, is, is an important part of, of concussion management. So yes, even when people are injured, and I would say we know that, you know, people are, are suffering from significant mental health issues, that that's an injury to their brain and their psyche, if you will, that movement has to always be part of rehabilitation, uh, even if, even if people are unwell from whatever, whatever cause. And if I can just kind of add to that, cause that, that is a common myth really about you know injury recovery and and illness in general is that you know you know 20 years ago well 40 years ago somebody had a heart attack it was a month of bed rest you know and then we learned through the you know the space program and things like that that a month of bed rest basically ages the cardiovascular system about 20 years and then you know back pain it, you know somebody hurts their back it's a, you know on your back for a month in the bed and then we learn that that's probably the worst thing you can do and that the earlier you can get moving the more those tissues get moving and then you know broken arm whatever it is you know you get it out of the cast as soon as you possibly can to get it moving in within a reasonable and the reason is is because physical activity provides nutrients and energy to tissue when you are sedentary the the metabolism of the tissue shuts down and it can't recover if there isn't nutrients oxygen blood flow to that tissue to allow it to recover and the same thing with concussion we used to think oh well you know keep them in a dark room don't let them do anything don't let them talk to anybody and you basically shut the metabolism down so the brain has an inability to recover itself because it's not getting blood flow it's not getting right. nutrients it's not getting but now we know do as you know, the light physical activity to get things moving, you get blood flow to the brain, it allows the brain to get energy and ATP to recover itself. And we know then that physical activity is providing energy, it's not taking it away. And I think that's the one thing that 
people have a big misconception about like the common thing that people say at the end of the day, I'm too tired to exercise or too tired to be active. Well, there's two sides to that thing. One is how active were you throughout the day? Because the more active you are throughout the day, the more energy you'll have at the end of the day, not the less usually, unless you're in a really strenuous type job, yeah, like they, you know, you construction, and then you do need to rest. But for many people, the, the lack of movement throughout the day is what's actually taking your energy away. Mm -hmm. And so then the other thing is, is that when you're at that point, that's a signal for you. Your body's trying to tell you that you need to be active. That probably the best thing that you can do at the end of a long day where you feel like you, you don't have your energy for your kids or your partner or whoever it might be, is actually to go for a walk around the block, to give your body the energy to deal with the rest of your day, to deal with your home, your home situation, because then you'll build your, your energy level and your resilience to deal with, you know, the challenges of parenting and, you know, uh, you know, partner and, and everything else. So those are kind of two sides to take away from that. Dr. Strang, when, when we look um, at, we've talked a lot about work today, when you look beyond work to the general population and communities, what, what would you say about that? So the workplace is, is important. Uh, you know, adults are good, um, um, uh, a significant proportion of us spend a lot of our time at a workplace. And so how we create workplaces where that promote activity is important, but they're just one setting. So from a public health perspective, we need to look at the community uh, broadly and the different types of setting, whether they're uh, in, in healthcare. What are we doing in healthcare? And Jonathan will have more to say in this, I know, around promoting physical activity at, at a, at, in, in healthcare, but, you know, for, for patients. Uh, but healthcare is also a major workplace, right? So how do we do that? Uh, our schools, there are certainly work going on developing a physical activity framework to to, more, to promote uh, activity through the learning day. And there's good there's good literature that shows that uh, that uh, that people uh, people learn better when they when they have good nutrition when they're active during their learning day, all of that promotes better learning outcomes, right? Everything we've talked about at work translates through to school. But in general, our communities, what are we doing in communities, that whole principle, creating supportive environments? Things like how do we facilitate people getting to and from work, to and from school, going about their daily errands? Can they, at least a portion of that, be do that while they're walking or some other way that they're active you know we, had, we have to also recognize disabilities and, and inclusive there but multimodal transportation so people don't just are not just in their car but they can walk a little bit of a way um, all those things that create walkable communities so creating all these different environments that actually support and promote activity because to as we started off with to me, allowing people to move, supporting people just to move more uh, is so fundamentally important to our overall health. And it crosses across the age span that we need to think of. Uh, need it's not just not just young kids being involved in activities formal informal it cross all adults as we're in the workforce but our our seniors are we making sure that we know that that uh, that the promotion uh, at Keeping active, uh, physically active, is in a very important part of some. There are preventive aspects of dementia. We can decrease the chance or slow down the progression of dementia, uh, and keeping people physically active. So, how do we actually create communities and sustain communities that people, as they age, can still? And I always come back to walking, right? 
If we had every Nova Scotian walk 30 minutes a day, nothing more complicated than that. No gyms, no nothing else, but every Nova Scotian walk 30 minutes a day, we would be so much healthier as a province. And Dr. Strang makes a you know, really good parallel come bringing it back to the workplace and that he's talking about an integrated approach across different domains within, within our province and our communities. And it's the same idea that we've learned in physical activity interventions that single interventions themselves tend to kind of peter out and fail, that you need multidisciplinary or cross-disciplinary approaches. And so in a workplace, you know, it's great to do, say, a pedometer challenge or something like that, that can get some people moving. But it's that philosophy of having a culture of health that's supporting um, a healthy, active workplace across a number of mediums that will be effective in the long term. And, you know, that, that you know, has the, the benefit of then overlapping that, you know, you have healthy, happy employees that then are healthy, happy uh um, family members that then, you know, contribute to the communities. And so it, they all have a, a part to play in a workplace. The leadership lead can lead by example, by, you know, walking meetings and supporting policies that, that allow people flex time, et cetera, to be active and supporting employees to be active during their workday so that they can be high performing employees. And so, but you make the great point and we need to be strategic and think about that is what I'm hearing in the message. Yeah. In my past working with the chamber of commerce, we had a committee that we looked across Canada. And one of the things we found was when you looked at health outcomes in most of the top, the top 10 things we looked at, we were sort of in the top three in a bad way in terms of outcomes and uh, you know, how does that, how does that impact us? So I'm, I'll start. I mean, I, I haven't, I've been busy with COVID. I haven't looked at our <laughs> physical activity stats for a while, but uh, we were, you know, across the country, physical activity, the, you know, the, the percentage of the population, regardless of the age who meet the kind of minimum criteria of being physically active is in the, you know, minority. Most people aren't, don't even meet the the minimum criteria, uh, and I think that you know uh, Nova Scotia was was no different in that. Although we were we had been making some progress uh, in certainly in increasing physical activity levels, especially in younger people, but still lots those lots those were modest modest improvements. We were kind of like the um, the best of a bad bunch, really, and still lots of room for growth and improvement. Well, related to that, like, yeah, Nova Scotia, Atlantic Canada has some of the higher rates of chronic diseases, such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and, and mm -hmm. some other things. However, there is a bit of a good news story there in the sense that from 2015 to about 2019, just prior to the pandemic, right. although we were starting at a lower point compared to the rest of the provinces in physical activity rates, uh, there was actually, we were one of the, I'm on the National Participation uh, Research Committee. And so we were doing a, a report card of physical activity levels across the country. And so I kind of dove deep into this data. And we were one of the few provinces that was actually increasing physical activity levels, um, you know, in a fairly good way, going uh, increasing by like 5% between 2015 and 2019 prior to the pandemic. And so we were actually, That's you know, some news. of the, the health promotion initiatives to like Dr. Strang mentioned in, uh, in youth, you know, that was spilling over to our adult populations as well. So those were some, some of the good things that happened prior to the pandemic. Now in the pandemic, some people, 
that were already active got more active, but there were a lot more people that were inactive to begin with got way more inactive. And so those are the things that we're trying to re-engage people in, in uh, it, you know, getting back to physical activity and in communities, being outside, using our parks and resources. Just, just a question, quick question. Uh, Dr. String, what do you do to stay active? I'm mostly a walker. walker. I used to run, and then, uh, but I try to walk, and I'm, I'm not doing as much walking as I as I need to. Uh, I lost, we lost our dog about a year ago, and that, dogs make a difference. Dogs, uh, dogs do. Yeah. When I was in family practice residency, one of my mentors said a piece of advice is that prescribe a dog for a family or an individual that you want to be more active. So I'm looking at way I need to do more. I'm looking at ways I reincorporate physical activity, but it's it is it is mostly walking. I'm at, and that's. That's fine. You've I, given you know, up on the rugby at this point? Oh, I gave up. <laughs> Rugby's a younger person sport. I love still I love to watch it. My daughter's now playing, uh, checking up rugby at uh, University of Kings. Uh, but uh, I, I watch and uh, maybe maybe I need to do a better job of walking. This is a, I could, instead of standing watching her, I could be walking around the pitch. <laughs> That's... How many laps could I do of the pitch while I'm watching the game at the same time? How many parents could, instead of sitting watching their kid play hockey, exactly. walk around the concourse? You're still watching the hockey game but you're moving around yeah i started actually promoting that exact message at many of my well, exercises medicine workshops but what is it that you do um well i being the national chair of the exercises medicine uh, kind of campaign <laughs> better do something <laughs> I, I yeah i do my best to do all parts of the uh the physical activity guidelines you know doing walking we got a pandemic puppy as well so being active walking uh, throughout the day and reducing my sedentary behavior, but I also I'm a an avid cyclist, so I uh, I you know do quite a bit of cycling in a week, and uh, and then also do my resistance training because the guidelines also say you know two times a week of resistance exercise to improve your musculoskeletal health, which is one of the number one predictors of independence as people age is a decline in musculoskeletal health and reducing the risk of falls and things like that. So that helps to maintain muscle mass and reduce risk of diabetes. So that's one of the other things that I used to be more of the strength trainer kind of guy, you know, like uh, football and that kind of thing. But I've definitely gotten more into the aerobic, but I still try and, you know, do my my resistance training twice a week. And I just I just want Nova Scotians to understand how fortunate we are to have Jonathan in this province. The work that he's doing, and as a, he's a national leader, but driving some of this with his expertise, the work he's done around exercises, medicine, and this other, you know, work, work promoting physical activity in other workplaces. So we're very fortunate that as to Nova Scotia to have Jonathan here and devoting his career to. Um, to a, a major public health issue that, uh, so mm -hmm. thank you, John. And a well, shameless plug for Acadia University yeah. well, too, yeah. where, where he works. And I would turn that around and say, I, I'm pretty sure most Nova Scotians are pretty thankful that you were here for the last <laughs> couple of years, right. leading us through you what we've gone right. through the last couple of years. So thank you as well, Dr. Yeah, Strang. both of you make huge contributions to our province and to our people. And it's it's really in the spirit of of having everyone just do better, which is, is, is a wonderful thing. So there's so much here to unpack. I, I want to thank both of you for your um, for your passion and your, your expertise. This has been an incredibly uh, interesting conversation. I would say to our listeners, uh, this is a unique podcast. There's something in it for everyone. It's not as, as uh, maybe as specific, but if you know, take the time to share it. I think there's really great messages here um, 
for the population. And I guess we were talking about population health, but there should be no surprise there. Don't That's forget, a, make your move at work toolkit. Google it. Go look for <laughs> go, it. Go yeah. look for it. Healthy Coming to a, an employer download. near you. Yeah. Sounds good. You are listening to WorkShift, a podcast from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. If you would like to learn more, you can visit worksaferlife.ca.